Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast made by and made for Keyforge friends all around the world. I am your Keyforge friend. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. Some of my other friends call me Alex. Not Keyforge players, though. Strictly Scuzzy when, uh, when it comes to Keyforge. And I am joined this week by my good pal, it's Boulevard Blake. What's going on, Coach? Hey, man. How's it going? Not too badly. Not too badly at all. Got the got the name change this time. Yes. I guess it's the new <laughs> thing I'm rolling with now. Real good. Uh, I just wanted to say that I, I had just a, such a terrific time on the podcast last week talking about key cheats. And that, that was absolutely one of my favorite episodes. If you're a regular listener to the podcast and you haven't gone back to check out that episode, like maybe you just dip in once in a while, let me encourage you to go to listen to that episode because to me, that was one of the best ones we've ever done. Yeah, agreed. I felt the same way. Absolutely terrific stuff. On the same or a similar topic, we're going to be talking about disruption this week, disruption cards. And I wanted to start off this conversation, Blake, with a very simple question. What is your definition of disruption? Because mine is very formal in what I think of as being disruption cards. Um, But I would be interested to hear what you think of as being like a proper disruption style card. Oh, I got to say that I feel like my definition is a little bit not all over the place, but what it encompasses can be all over the place. Because I think some of these cards could be defined potentially as board control or ember control as Mm -hmm. well, depending on uh, your perspective on that. But for me, it's anything that disrupts the way that you would normally want to play the game. Mm -hmm. So that could be something that states you can only fight now. That could be something that says you cannot reap. It could be something that says you must do this or you cannot do this. Anything that has those sort of um, phrases or keywords within the card, I think, sort of fall into disruption for me. Yeah, I I feel fairly similarly to you. I think the way that I think about it is um, anything that says you can't. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, oftentimes I've seen people who, you know, sort of define things as like, oh, customs office is a control card because it makes it harder for people to or a disruption card because it makes it harder for people to, you know, play artifacts. And I'm like, well, no, I mean, it doesn't say you can't do anything. It's just a tax on doing a thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I sort of take anything you. that's kind of a tax out of there and really strictly leave it with things that remove options from your opponent's ability to play the game. Um, now, oftentimes you get a lot of gray area in that. And I think that, you know, you, you and I would both agree there's a lot of cards that sort of dip into disruption while also acting as amber control, board control, artifact control, you know, key control, and so on and so forth. But uh, one of the things that I wanted to pitch to you is I think that there was a period where they nerfed disruption really badly and we've slowly seen it crawl back from the brink of being kind of almost completely removed from the game would you agree with that statement um no i would not agree fair because i think it's it's always been there i think it might be the the fact that it was represented as vastly as it is now is maybe the change because this has always been quite heavy on disruption and to a lesser degree i think we've seen um logos have it in a very weird kind of niche sort of way Mm -hmm. but no i think it's always been there i actually think that uh, i almost don't want to say this because i know this is going to be a big cornerstone so i'll say it anyways though i feel like basically control the week is the epitome of the concept of disruption Mm -hmm. and ever since that card came out 
they realize like, oh, this was like a really powerful card we created. And they've been trying to figure ways to get it right since then. And I actually think they have in Mass Mutations. I would agree with you on all those points. Um, I, I think that really honestly, when I look at like, say, Sna- uh, or Worlds Collide in AOA, I think that they nerfed down a lot of the disruption that was available in Coda. But then in MM, we're seeing like a refined and although not at a Coda level, just a much more powerful style of disruption coming back into play. Mm-hmm. So looking at Coda, I mean, was there was that was almost the entire identity of Dis back in the Coda era. It's the reason why Dis was on top, I think, with Shadows in that time. Shadows, because stealing was so incredibly powerful, was just the number one house, and I don't think there was a lot of contention for that. But because of specifically Control the Weak, um, which was printed at Common, and which, you know, there were so many decks out there that had multiple copies of it, it was the ultimate control or disruption card, because basically it said to your opponent, you don't have a choice of a house. Of the three houses, you don't have a choice, and you may not get to play any cards if I pick correctly when I play Control of the Week, and I get a pip of favor for playing it, which you will hear me complain about forever and a day until Keyforge is no longer a thing. I'll be on my deathbed talking about how they put a pip of amber on control of the week. It'll be engraved on my tombstone asking why there was a pip of amber on control of the week. But yeah, just an absolutely bananas card. But also we saw it, I think in Ember Imp in which it basically, unless you could get rid of the Ember Imp, you could only play two cards. Uh, We saw it in Life Ward with control over whether or not you could play creatures and Restring Guntus in Dis, uh, you know, basically saying you can't play a house. So almost the inverse of Control the Week. So people were pulling off all kinds of wacky combos between all of those different things that could really limit your opponent's abilities. It's kind of a miracle these didn't kill the game. Yeah, I think think that they they showed up... um... The way they should, you know, like I, I'm, I'm with you on control the week with a like being at common was, I think, also one of the things. I mean, that should have been an uncommon for sure. In hindsight, probably they realized, and the fact that that has an ember pip and a thing like fear return an enemy creature to its owner's hand doesn't is is kind of wild. And I, I, I totally see what you're saying, but uh, for me, I also consider uh, disruption though to fall into the category of like discarding from an opponent's hand. Mm-hmm. I think that really does actually count as disruption because you are. Um, removing a piece of the puzzle from your opponent's uh, hand and, and it just creates that like that could be a key component to whatever they want to do and now it no longer exists yeah i mean i i could say that i i can there 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 are definitions of disruption that i certainly think fall into that i guess my my sort of thought on that is you're not removing your opponent's ability to do anything other than play that card potentially so, but it, kind of a it back disrupts and forth though. At the end of the day, it's still it's still disrupting something. No, fair, legitimate, right? Um, those cards are so powerful, and there was almost no real disruption outside of Dis in the Coda era. Like I went through all the Coda cards today, looking for other examples of things that I would define by my sort of kind of strict definition of or of disruption, and I couldn't find any. Hmm. No, it, it definitely. You're right. It it definitely was very much contained with within that i mean like mars kind of but not so much it was more like and i think it's partly is because there was it generally was the caveat that it affected you as well so that kind of made it less seeming disruptive mm-hmm. that's that's the only thing but yeah you're you're pretty much dis had that identity is when you had dis you were disrupting encoda and everything else was just kind of um they had their own sort of identity i think that's something that's been the progression of the game is that other houses have adopted things that that were kind of the core identity of 
of another house, but in a more limited capacity. Absolutely. I would I would agree with you on that for sure. Um, it, it's interesting to me that Control the Weak never seemed like it was like an, like nobody talked about that card until that one vault tour where a triple Control the Weak deck made it to the final. And then suddenly everybody was talking about Control the Weak. Do you remember this? Like everybody just talked about Shadows and Shadows being OP or Shadows being like the number one house. And it was. And, you know, it was depending on who you talk to, perhaps OP. But nobody was really thinking about Control the Weak as this absolute world beating card until such a time as it made that incredible showing in one of the big vault tours. And then was that the of, um, Gasolino Maxima one, I, the, the double vault tour winning deck that had the lands combo and they control the wiki with the face shift so you couldn't do anything? Yes, that was the one. <laughs> yeah. That deck is the probably the best deck in Keyforge ever. The fact that it's won, I think it's the only deck to have won two Vault Tours in two yeah. different ways under two different nerfs. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah, you would have to put it up against, I think, the um, the uh, double uh, uh, Genka one that still can go off under 21 chains or whatever it yeah. is. I would love to see those decks go at it to see which one came out on top. But uh, yeah, just the, the the disruption plus card draw of Gasolina is absolutely bananas. Um, it's just weird to me that, you know, like I was saying a little bit earlier, I kind of feel like this kind of disruption is the kind of thing that makes the game not fun for other people. Like, you know, not to not to bring up the specter of uh, of MTG, but oftentimes one of the things that I hear MTG players uh, players complain about is the idea of, oh, well, I'm not even playing the game now. You basically made it impossible for me to play, so I just sit here while you play your turn. It comes to my turn, I can't do anything because of whatever your deck archetype is, and then it goes back to you. And you know frankly that sounds super unhealthy for any game but it never felt like even with all these super powerful cards and discs in the coda era that the game actually was like that except in certain very extreme circumstances with restoring guntus yeah no it's it's true i mean and the funny thing is is there's there's for the most part the restoring guntus lock concept is it's kind of a crapshoot i mean mm -hmm. there's there's especially now with mass mutation having damage pips it's much harder to to have that uh, occur and i find there's there's so many outs that that there's kind of has to be a perfect storm for it to happen i mean i have personally been on i think i've been locked once but i have created a lock a few times to people and so i i know it's a feels bad situation but it's uh, it's part of the game and the truth is is that I think if you are, are like worried about it and it's something that could occur, you plan for it. So that means you hold and chain yourself so that you cannot be put into that situation. And that's that's just my own opinion of it because I've I've seen that and I've played around it in that regard. So that would not happen to me. And I've also been the one dealing out that punishment as a uh, as not being prepared for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the the trademarks of the Coda era was that there's no way that card does that reaction. You know, mm -hmm. when you're first discovering the game and you hear about something like, uh, you know, uh, Restoring Guntus or, you know, a uh, uh, bait and switch before it got nerfed and all kinds of other stuff, you would go, that's insane. How could that possibly not just destroy the game and unbalance the game? And it's, well, you know, you have to find the right decks that have those things. And every house, pretty much, not every house, but almost every house had something that was so good and so, like, such a powerful mechanic that, you know, all right, fine. You're playing a disruption disc deck. I'm playing a burst untamed deck. Let's see who gets theirs to go off first. Mm -hmm. Again, the rock, paper, scissors house combination thing, so to speak. 
Yeah, totally. Moving into AOA, um, we lost Control of the Week right off the top, but we still had Life Ward. Restaurant Guntus was still around, but we got a few other interesting options, and I think this is the beginning of them really trying to figure out ways that they could sort of replicate Control of the Week without actually, like, replicating Control of the Week. We had Tezmal in AOA, which I always think is an interesting card. I've never actually gotten a ton of utility out of it, but I've also never dedicated any like decks towards the Tezmal strategy. Whereas I know there's folks who have done like Rocket Boots, Tezmal, um, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, is that ever a card that you've messed with? Have you ever played around with that one? I feel like it it became a witch and people just knew that it was time to to get rid of this card and not let it stick. And I think that's that's a very much a true thing. And I respect that because, um, yeah, but the, it's it's not a control of the week. It, it followed the restaurant Guntis. I think it was the uh, a way to maybe see if this is more viable than restaurant Guntis and had them both in play because mm-hmm. it's uh, it's not that they must choose. It's a cannot choose. And I, I don't know, I just know there's there's ways that it also came, because it was a common, it could show up in multiples, and then you could make it so that if they stuck, you could actually make it so you were controlling the week by saying you can't choose this house or this house, which is uh, kind of interesting, the double Tezmal decks. And like you said, with Rocket Boots, same sort of concept. Um, I personally have not. The two power and the elusive and having to wait a turn to activate it, uh, it just never really stuck, unfortunately. I found, I found more often than not, they were they were just gone. Yeah, it's impo- almost impossible to get value out of it on the same turn. Unless you drop that Dusk Witch. Yeah. Um, it, AOA does have what I think is one of the more interesting and like oftentimes very effective uh, uh, cards, especially in the context of just playing AOA against AOA uh, disruption cards, which is Barrister Joya. Just saying you mm. straight up can't reap. Like that's a huge impact. And we've seen varying like variations on that idea of you can't reap you can't fight since then but barrister joya was so straightforward just drop it and that's on the board right now and it's only impacting one side and if you can't get up the muscle to get rid of her or drop a board clear or something like that it's it's really gonna bone a lot of decks yeah i'd I'd agree and on that note i have a question for you alex do you consider things that existed in aoa in spades this was like such a strong theme was the the reap hate in the form of creatures being stunned would you consider that disruption not really because it's not taking away my ability to do the thing it's just punishing me for doing it Mm, see for me i actually define that as disruption because it's disrupting you from being able to just reap out every turn like it's stopping you from doing that and and that's where I think you and I we we view the disruption a little bit mm-hmm. differently because I I kind of categorize it even when I'm doing my videos I will I will count that as disruption because it it like stops you from being able to move forward with a plan it's like just literally disrupting the ability to just reap out every turn because you have to take a turn to reset your your house and that's how I view it like for for me Seismo Entangler I think is a very strong disruption card because mm-hmm. for one turn it says you cannot reap with a certain house where I view also like like stunning is the same sort of concept because that means in one turn you're not going to be able to root with them because you have to unstun them. I wonder how DOK defines it because they have a disruption stat, um, mm-hmm. but I've never really looked at what cards they score on it. I have to assume that the stun ones would score fairly low compared to things like, you know, the cards we've already mentioned, Barrister Joya, Control the Week. Oh, for sure. Contest. In comparison, I don't think it's it's the on par at all. I just think, mm-hmm. it, I just think it does disrupt plays is how I kind of view it. How would you say about a card like Shadow of Dis that basically just takes away all of your reap play abilities off of your opponent's creatures? Do yeah, you that's count that sure as disruption? disruption? 
hundred percent because it I've literally had it go against me. Like someone had that and I was holding hunting witches and they shadow a disc me and I was like, huh, can't really do my hunting witch turn because it's gonna be completely useless. I'm not gonna get any ember from this. So I had to call it disrupted my next turn because I was like, I can't call untamed now because I have all these things ready to go. And if I call and use it, it's gonna be a waste. So I ended up having to call a different house. It literally disrupted the way I was gonna do my next turn. So moving on from AOA to Worlds Collide, um, we got what I think is probably the second best control or disruption card in the entirety of the game. I keep saying control card because of control the week, but the second best next to control the week, I think stealth mode is the best disruption card that's ever been printed. Well, it piggybacked off the Logos one from Coda. Yeah, you're right, actually. I, I hadn't, uh, I had completely forgot about that while I was going through my my uh, uh, Coda uh, stuff today. But yeah, not being able to play actions, I thought there was there was a more um, widespread sense of it here because you had a bunch of Shadows cards as well that mm-hmm. like uh, creatures couldn't reap Inky or gloom they couldn't and into fight. The night. Yeah. yeah, there was there was a much more like everyone got a little bit of disruption in some way or another. And then, and then of course, Disc got it in a very interesting way. They created some most unique disruption, which Alex, I know you've had a lot of experience with. Well, uh, sorry, what are we what are we talking about specifically? Snag's mirror and snag. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and snaglet even. Uh, snaglet, I think less so of just because it's more of a tax than a disruption. Yeah. But it's the I like that they created a trio of of things I thought mm-hmm. was interesting. Yeah, snag like I like snag generally speaking. Um, for one thing, snag kind of flies under the radar. Like a lot of people won't prioritize removal of snag, and then we'll drop like uh, uh, an elusive creature that lets you use snag with no penalty to snag. Like mm-hmm. snag's not going to take any damage. Snag's mirror falls into like almost what I think of as universal disruption cards, things like Heart of the Forest, Quixel Stone, things that impact both sides and change the rules of the game. And they count as disruption, but they're so different, I think, because what anybody who's playing that card, if they're a smart player, is playing it in a deck where they know that the deck can take advantage of the card um, and is hoping that their opponent's deck can't. Um, but they're kind of different than just like the general utility of a lot of the stronger disruption cards. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I know I I can actually I have, for some reason have this vivid memory of you being at Magic Stronghold and being in this like really tedious Snags Mirror match. I can't remember if you both had it. It was first or- round of uh, of uh, a qualifier for uh, of a prime actually. Yeah, I remember you just having this tedious game where you guys overlapped houses, I think, completely. And mm-hmm. so it was like this constant like ring around the rosy sort of deal with Snag's Mirror. Yeah, and it went down to time and it was not fun. Um, yeah, I remember that. But I'm I'm with you on Snag, though. I, th- I think Snag was a, a well-thought-out card. Uh, the fight ability to, to use it, so it means that it has to stick around for one turn. Five power, I think, is the sweet spot for fight abilities because mm-hmm. you it basically says you're, you're probably going to get two fights out of it maybe three but generally it's two fights so that means you can only use it twice uh, i feel like it's it's quite a nice design and they found that sweet spot with fight abilities and five power and i think that came from brobnar for the most part mm-hmm. very true um why is it that inky gloom and into the night are, are not great why is it the inky gloom into the night are not great for those that uh, aren't familiar they are basically inky gloom says um non-shadows creatures can't reap on your opponent's next turn into the night says non-shadows creatures can't fight on your opponent's next turn which seems pretty good i mean that's that's not bad but in practice i, I never found they did factor. anything 
that's that's the thing is that I feel like Shadows never really lost its popularity popularity no matter how bad kind of people say the house evolved since Coda. It still was like that's like the one house that you you kind of want to be included as well. But it's um I don't know. I just think it's it felt weird in a way. Like it 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 didn't it seemed out of place in Shadows to state mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, I just I I have decks with it in it, but I never found like it was much of a deal. Like it it never sealed the deal for me, if you will. Mm-hmm. It was never yeah, the I difference agree. between winning and losing. No, I agree with you 100%. Moving on to Mass Mutation, um I think that Mass Mutation has some amazing disruption cards and they're ones that require like a little bit of forethought and a little bit of deck analysis. Eaton's Jar to me is one of the best and most interesting disruption cards because it really does rely upon you looking at your opponent's deck, trying to figure out what their deck does, and then making the call with Eaton's Jar that will absolutely prevent them from doing that thing. Mm, yeah, it's, it is a pretty ultimate d- disruption card. I haven't played with a lot of Eaton's Jar decks, but I've played against people who have used it so effectively against me. Like they just instantly sussed out what my deck's key pieces were and then just made it so that I couldn't play them. Um, I've also seen it uh, Eaton's Jar very oftentimes handily. Like uh, people can pair it up in certain kinds of decks. Like if you're playing a Dav deck and you have Eaton's Jar, you could use it to take away your opponent's artifact control, stuff like that. Um, Heavy steel things. Like if people are playing a... um, uh, 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 routine job deck, people using Eaton's Jar right away to take it off. Like it's, it can be very, very effective. No, I agree, hundred percent. It's, it's a, it's a really neat card, and because it's rare, you don't see it too often, so it's not, it doesn't seem OP. But when it comes down, it, it's, it's a hammer for sure. Mm-hmm. Speaking of hammers, how about that market dis? Yeah, that card is the the we were alluding before the evolution of control of the week, and I think it is quite well designed for what you wanted to do um you still get a pip of ember and um it can act as removal if need be but it's it makes it so you can't use it unanimously you there's not if they have no creatures you can't do it which is kind of an interesting thing and i've seen that uh, come into play actually Mm -hmm, totally which is one of the cool things i think about it because it takes the essential power of control the week and puts some qualifiers on it that don't make it unusable and i'm never unhappy to see mark of dis but it does make it so that it is not just this, you know, easy to play, no thought has to go into it, you know, you can play it any time and it's good kind of card. Honestly, you know, it is a card that does require the scenario to be right and that oftentimes you will have you wondering, should I play this now or should I hold it? No, that's true, yeah. That's a very good point. Um, uh, I have a question for you, Alex. Sure. What do you think about a card, uh, this did exist in Worlds Collide, but like a Dexus and I can't remember the other one, the other one that was in... Um, oh, the can't play cards on the right-hand side. Can't yeah, play they're cards the Latin the names side. for left and right. And once again, uh, what do you... Pardon? I was going to say, those are once again things that fall into my sort of tax mindset of it's not disruption because it doesn't say you can't do something. It just says there's a tax on you for doing it. Right, okay. Do you... But you qualify that as disruption. Uh, I, I think it's it's in like, if we were going to rank in terms of giving them a point score, I think it would be on the absolute lowest level. Because it's it's more of an inconvenience than a disruption. Hey, how do you feel about opposition research? That I would count that as disruption because oh, it's a turn you yeah. cannot reap. Yeah. I've had I actually had it played against me where they had multiples. They did it two turns in a row on me, mm-hmm. and it was really disruptive. Like I couldn't do anything. Like it kind of 
like hamstrung me for a bit. So yeah, I do consider things where you say when you anytime it says the word cannot, mm-hmm. that for me is you're disrupting because mm-hmm. you're you're totally. literally stopping me from wanting to being able to do something I want to do. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those ones where uh, it's definitely counts as disruption. But when I'm I I just find that, like, for some reason, the your opponent's cards can't reap outside of Barrister Joya, for some reason, never feel like they're that impactful. Mm. And I don't I know why, that. because reaping is obviously like one of the, the best mechanics in the whole game, one of the most critical, like, mechanics in the whole game. If a creature is on the table and it's that turn and you have nothing else to do with them, no fights, no other powers, they can always reap to get you an amber and closer to a key. So you would think that taking that out of somebody's, you know, tool belt would be more impactful, but it just never feels like Opposition Research does that. Well, here's my question for you then. Um, a card that existed in Worlds Collide and is also a mass mutation, the upgrade discombobulator from Logos that says this creature gains your ember cannot be stolen. Do you find that as disruption? Yeah, I would account that as disruption, certainly. Yeah, me too. I think that is, um, and that's the same thing. So so what's the difference? It, that's t- for my thing is like not being able to reap and also stolen. It's the same sort of thing. It's just, I think it's the fact that it's not a permanent ability. So mm-hmm. Like it's it's Barrister Joya just on in a more limited capacity, really. Yeah, totally. Um, also in Mass Mutation, Nero Taurus, which I think is an interesting card because mm, it's totally fight your opponents can't reap, reap your opponent can't fight. Um, there's a lot of utility in that one for figuring out exactly how you want to disrupt your opponent as long as that creature's on the board. And it's pretty sizable, right? Like Nero Taurus ain't going to get taken out super easily. No, that's true. I, I think it's a really I I really like that card. It's I think it's a well designed. It gives they give in like a six power with the the fight ability yeah. instead of a five, which we is the standard we we discuss. So I find that really interesting. Yeah, it's just it's interesting also that it landed in Sorian. I think um, Sorian never short of big bomb cards, uh, and they just seem to have a weakness. I think for continuing to put them in. There's no question that you know uh, the Sorians got taken down a little bit from Worlds Collide, but still with lots and lots of really strong, powerful, good cards in Mass Mutation. One card that we um, we'd be remiss to to be talking about is um, Skippy Timehog, which of course was in Coda yes. in Logo. So it seems like only Dis and Logos had some uh, disruption in Coda, but now with the mutant theme, they brought Skippy back, and who I think that is one of the most disruptive cards because it makes you sometimes have to be like, oh, I'm not calling that house this turn. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right, and I had not considered my good pal Skippy, which hopefully he'll forgive me for, because I've used <laughs> that card a lot uh, mm-hmm. over the years since I started playing Keyforge, and he was in one of my very earliest decks, so I'm, I'm quite familiar with him. So my apologies to Skippy. Um, I would like to uh, remind folks that Blake and I have made a pledge not to look at spoilers for the forthcoming set, um, which is only a few weeks away now, uh, as far as we can tell, so... Man, uh, it'll be real interesting to see where things go in terms of disruption in this new set. Are we going to see a lot of returns of new car- of cards that we've seen previously? Are we going to see brand new forms of disruption? Will the new house have a lot of disruption? It will have no disruption. Where will this fall? I- I'm I'm just very curious. This is because- not in this new set. Oh, that's, that's what right. The, the new the new house is replacing this. Can you spot the guy who hosts the KeyForge podcast? <laughs> That's how dedicated I am to not looking at spoilers, folks. I I, I forgot that this is not actually in in uh, uh, Dark Tidings. 
Uh, can't end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. This one's called Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. Just a little etiquette thing. I find it very helpful sometimes to remember that a lot of the folks that you're playing against on The Crucible are oftentimes people who have no English or very limited English. Um, I sometimes feel like somebody's being rude to me and it occurred to me the other day that a person who I was playing against, and because I went and looked at their deck and suddenly realized that it was uh, uh, a, I believe, unless I'm mistaken, a Chinese language deck, um, that the person just honestly might not have any English at all with which to communicate with me. And that's actually kind of beautiful that we could still play this game together online. And that instead of interpreting like his relative silence to my greetings or my question or whatever else during the game, it was probably or possibly just a case that they weren't able to communicate with me. And that's a thing that I'm really trying to keep in mind now. Um, I can be a bit of an like, an etiquette snob, I think sometimes where I like it when people say have a good game or GG or whatever. And, you know, sometimes it feels like, you know, uh, you know, it's easy to interpret people's silence as them being on tilt when it just might be another factor altogether. So one of the things that I'm trying to keep in mind right now, Blake, is that you don't know what the circumstances are of the person that you're playing with, whether or not they have the capacity to communicate with you in the way that would be preferable to you. Um, and ultimately, you know, as long as they play the game in a way that is sportsmanlike and, you know, uh, not uh, not intentionally rude through their gameplay, then I think that we can cut everybody a little bit of slack. Yeah, I'm with you. I think I think things not being said is much different than things being said. So that's you're intentionally being rude when you're saying things. If you're not saying anything that could be your choice, and if it's been from the jump, then obviously it's nothing to take personally. Yeah. And short of insults too, I also try and keep in mind that sometimes somebody says something that seems a little like, for lack of a better term, rude, and maybe it's just that they are they don't have like a strong grasp or I'm not reading the tone correctly or something else like that. Who knows? Yeah, fair. You can find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on Instagram, on The Crucible, and on Twitter. Blake, you always have tons of stuff going on. Tell us what's going on. Well, currently I am still going pretty strong with YouTube. I'm kind of winding down on the AOA stuff. I, I'm I'm feeling more ob obligated to post the AOA rather than feeling the excitement to post it. So that's my cue to chill out for a bit. So I, I had some pre-recorded videos that I'm going to probably be just doing one a week. And I'm going to be doubling down on the coaches collection because I've got some really good feedback where people said that was their favorite series. So obviously my weekly vlog, the key thoughts is happening every week. And uh, as well as I'll be doing some coaches collection, which will be decks you'll get to see when I jam them on my stream every Tuesday. Radical. All right. We'll be back at you next week with another episode of help from future self until then. Stay forward.